me to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Over the last uh, few weeks, even months, we've been looking at a series, and we've started and taken a pause, and we've started again uh, on a curriculum based by Chip Ingram entitled R12, looking at what does it mean to have true spirituality. R, standing for Romans 12, the 12th chapter, and we've been looking at how what a real Christian, a true Christian possesses, how they live, how they act, can be found in this chapter. And when we look to see how it applies, it applies in so many areas of our life. And tonight, we're going to look at how a Romans 12 Christian, a Christian based in the things of God, will respond when evil is thrown at them. We're going to look once again at an Old Testament real-life story and how it goes hand-in-hand hand with what's happening in Romans chapter 12. But before we do, I want to look at the key text in which tonight is founded in, and this is Romans chapter 12, looking at verse 14 through 21. Now, I'm going to read it as slow as I possibly can because I want you to begin to chew on this and begin to look for some things that stand out for you. And I have a pattern of this with some brothers uh, throughout the week. We do this uh, weekly and, and looking at a passage of Scripture and looking for an observation and begin to see what leaps out to us. And, and I think we can have some of that tonight. So read along with me. You read silently. I'll read aloud. Romans 12, starting at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my friends but leave room for god's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And finally, Paul gives us these words. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is one of those passages of Scripture that sounds good, and I would really like for you to live that out when you deal with me, but living it out ourselves can be challenging. Pray for your enemies, Jesus would teach. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. A Romans 12 Christian is not void of pain and hurt in their life. In fact, in John, Jesus tells us, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. What I love about tonight's teaching is that we're not just going to kind of talk around something. We're going to dive right into the nitty-gritty and what it is like to live in a world where people will hurt you. They will abuse you at times. They will betray you. They may lie about you. And it may be the very people you think that are the closest to you at times. 
See, two main characters in the New Testament, other than Christ, that stand out is, is Peter and Paul. And Paul's ministry was primarily, excuse, excuse me, and Peter's ministry was primarily to the Jews, and Paul's was primarily to the Gentiles. Peter would write these words, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. In other words, when things are happening to you that are painful or difficult, that are evil or unjust in this fallen world, don't be surprised. The Apostle Paul would take one step further in 2 Timothy when he says, In fact, every one of you who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And then notice this. You'll be persecuted while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. The question that I have for us tonight is, as we get started in this is, who is it in your life that has hurt you? That's wounded you? That has betrayed or abused or abandoned or forsaken, forgotten you? Is it a parent? Is it a child? Is it a sibling? Is it a spouse? Was it a business partner? Was it someone that you thought was a friend? Was it someone in the church? Maybe they didn't hurt you, but they hurt someone that you love and, and, and they were very close to you and it might as well have been you. You felt the pain that way. How do we, as Romans 12 type Christians of a true authentic spirituality, respond? How can we overcome this evil that's aimed at us? Because the question is not, will you have pain? Jesus said himself, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, every one of us walks around with rocks that are in our heart. We have our own bag of rocks. Sometimes we get in situations where we compare our rock with someone else's and we feel, woe is me, I have more rocks than them, or mine are heavier, dirtier, sharper, larger. Other times we begin to look at someone else's and say, well, I've got it pretty good, I've never had this or that. But the fact of the matter is, everybody has some rock, some pain you carry, and some evil aimed at you. I want us to look tonight at a man's life who I think has a lot to talk to us about overcoming evil with good. And we're going to take the first couple minutes to remind us of of why his credentials in this area is so strong. And as we look at it, this is a, a Bible story that we know well, but I want us to think of it in terms as if this was happening to you or to one of your kids or to a, your parents or to, to someone that you love that's close to you and begin to think of the emotions that would come up for you. I want you to look with me at Joseph's journey and how it reveals how we can overcome the evil that is aimed at us. We'll be looking at Genesis 37 through 50. We're going to read all these chapters very slowly together. Let's see who was awake still. It's not possible for us to to read every portion of this. Many of you can remember it, but I challenge you sometime in the the week or weeks to come, walk through this. But I'm going to look at at kind of like the movie trailer for Joseph's life. We're going to look at the the high-level points and begin to see what he has gone through and how he dealt with it and what God may teach us through that tonight. See, We're going to look at some things that in God's sovereignty he allowed to take place in Joseph's life. I I, I don't really like that fact. I wish that God would take everything painful away from us. But when we look at Joseph's life, there was so much that God in his sovereignty allowed to take place. As I give this running 
summary of this from the pit to the palace story of Joseph, I want us to begin to see what God not only can, but wants to do in our life. We find that Joseph was 17, tending his father's flocks with his half-brothers. And Joseph now reports to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing, and this made him really popular with his brothers. He was tattling to dad on what was going on, and they didn't like it. See, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. This was a recipe for disaster. He was partial to Joseph, and everyone knew it. He gave Joseph this fine coat, a robe of many colors, to to just highlight how much he loved him in comparison to the others. At least that's how the brothers took it. And so God, in his sovereignty, chose to allow Joseph to be born into a dysfunctional family. We'll discover more and more how dysfunctional it was. But some of us could identify, we may not want to identify, but we could identify with a dysfunctional family. We're going to see that God can even take what starts in dysfunction and He can bring good out of it. Part of this dysfunction in the family, not only was uh, uh, Jacob's uh, partiality for Joseph, But it was also the way the brothers viewed Joseph and their hatred to one another. And even Joseph's arrogance at times and how he would share what was given to him. So, again, we see that God allowed Joseph to be rejected by his siblings. This dysfunction played out in rejection from his own family. One day... Jacob sends Joseph out to check on his brothers, and his brothers see him coming from a distance. You know the story. And they say, let's kill him. And one gracious brother, the gracious brother, says, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. You know you're in trouble when your most gracious family member settles for not killing you, but just throwing you in a pit. As they put Joseph in the pit, there was a caravan of foreigners traveling by and they decide as long as we're going to get rid of our brother we might as well make some money on him and they sell him into slavery into this traveling caravan so god in his sovereignty allowed joseph to be abandoned to a foreign land imagine that you're 17 or imagine your 17 year old or or your grandchildren who may be 17 who was abandoned abandoned by their family to a foreign land Joseph doesn't know the culture, he doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the gods that they have, he doesn't know their customs, and he goes from being this privileged Mr. Center of the universe in his world to a slave. When he gets to this foreign land, he is this slave auctions dream as they are auctioning off this new person, and Potiphar is there. He's the head of the secret service for the king of Egypt, and he buys Joseph. So again, we find God in his sovereignty allowing Joseph to be sold into slavery, or at least it so seems. Joseph, he has some unique abilities. He has two key strengths that stand out that we read about, we find in the text. One, God has given him the ability to interpret dreams that will come later, but also he had the ability to administrate. He was a gifted administrator. This guy just got administration He was a strategic thinker who knew how to implement a strategic plan. And so Potiphar watches how God used 
his hand on Joseph, and everything that Joseph put his hand to seemed to succeed. So Potiphar eventually turns more and more responsibility over to Joseph, and he begins to run Joseph's affairs and run the workers of the house, the slaves of the house, and run the house for him. So even though Joseph is in slavery, it appears that things are getting better and better. But you know how the story goes. One day, Potiphar's wife shows some interest in Joseph. Joseph rejects the advance and says, I I could never do that to your husband. I respect him. I work for him. And I would definitely never do that to my God to defile myself in such a way. And she persisted time after time after time pursuing him. The text tells us that here this young man who's in a foreign land, who's been sold into slavery at no fault of his own, is now gaining more responsibility and now being pursued by a a woman who is older, showing interest in him. Some young men would say, hey, that sounds like a great thing. But Joseph said, I won't touch that for anything. One day, Potiphar's wife arranges to where they could be alone. And, And the text literally reads, he had to run out of his coat to get away from her trap. She's so offended, she's so scorned that she talks to her husband when he comes home and she lies and says that he tried to rape her. And so we now see that God in his sovereignty appears to allow Joseph to be falsely accused of rape. Potiphar is obviously upset and he throws Joseph into prison. Again, God in his sovereignty now allows Joseph to be sent to prison unjustly. Finally, he's forgotten by a friend. Here's what I'm going to have to ask you to take time and read the entire story. We cannot do justice to all these pieces, but here's the real fast, quick version. While in prison, he meets the cupbearer and the baker. Both have dreams, and the cupbearer comes to Joseph with his dream and says, Joseph, what does this mean? And Joseph says, in three days you'll be restored to your position. Then the baker comes to Joseph and says the same thing. What does this dream mean? Describes his dream, and he says, in three days you'll have your head cut off. You see, he could see what was happening because God had given him that gift of interpreting dreams. And when he did this, he says, I tell you these things, but don't forget about me. When you get out of here, tell the Pharaoh, tell the king that I don't deserve to be here. I've been falsely accused. Don't forget me. But it appears that God in his sovereignty allowed Joseph to be forgotten by the few friends he had. Now look at this guy who was born into a dysfunctional family. Look at this guy who was rejected. He was abandoned. He was sold into slavery, falsely accused, in prison, and now forgotten about. He knows a thing or two about evil being aimed at him. Let's just pause there for a minute. We started by thinking about who was it that has hurt you in your life. I know it's not a fun thing to talk about. My guess is probably nobody or very few came hoping that you could think about who's hurt you in your life. Thanks, Brady. I came Sunday night to be encouraged, and now you want me to think about who's hurt me. I'm not trying to open up wounds that have been healing, but the fact of the matter is, for many of us, we've carried these rocks in our heart for a long time, or there's people that we love who are close to us who carry rocks of pain in their life for a long, long time. And for us as Christians, there is a way for us to respond to evil with good. And I think before we can really take heart into what Joseph is going to teach us tonight, we need to see that he knows a thing or two about pain. 
He knows a thing or two about family pain. He knows a thing or two about being lied about. He knows a thing or two about having all kinds of pressure come against him at the wrong time, at the time when he should have been in his prime of his youth. All this was happening. All with the appearance that Almighty Sovereign God has allowed this to take place. See, most of us will go through unjust times at some point in our life. For many people, it breaks them. But for Joseph and for Romans 12 Christians, it has the opportunity to make us. Many people spend their entire life blaming the people who have hurt them. Rehearsing the hurt over and over and over again. Blaming God and everyone they can who seem to have a hand in at least allowing this to take place. It will eat them alive. Even in ways that they're not aware of. But it doesn't have to stay that way. We can respond like Joseph did. We can respond like Romans 12 calls us to. The text that we just read at the beginning tonight. So here's the rest of the story that you know with Joseph. One day, Pharaoh had a dream and needs it interpreted, and finally, Joseph is remembered. He was brought to Pharaoh. He interprets this dream, but this time, he's not as arrogant as earlier with his brothers. He gives God all the glory. He helps save the land from famine. As we read on in the text, we find that he's lifted to this high place of honor, given the seat of second in command. He's even in leadership in ruling over his brothers. And he helps save his family and his people. See, the theme of of Joseph's story that we read over and over again is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph in the dysfunctional family. The Lord was with Joseph in the pit. The Lord was with Joseph in slavery. The Lord was with Joseph in prison. The Lord was with Joseph time and time again. Had not left him. So now let's look. I think at what could be some tools or help for us tonight. God, what would you have for me and for my friends through this passage of Scripture? Let's look at Joseph's response to the evil circumstances that he has. First, he survived. He learned and he adapted in the midst of his pain. Sometimes, in hard times, surviving seems like an impossibility. But the Lord was with him, and it's not something we should just push aside, that he existed through it. He held on and just survived with the help of the Lord through those times. His response to the evil circumstances was he just kept standing when he didn't know what else to do. He adapted. He adapted from a place of privilege to a place of poverty. He survived with the Lord as his companion. He not only survived, but the second thing we see in his response, he thrived. He used his gifts right where he was. He ended up being the head of Potiphar's house. He was given more responsibility And in the prison, he used his gifts of interpreting dreams. He thrived. He used what he had, where he was, any way he could. It would have been easy for him to say, I'm not a slave. I'm the favorite son. I'm not going to do the dirty work. But he had gifts of administration. Even here in this foreign land. In a place that I don't deserve to be. Lord, you are with me. I'm going to do what you've empowered me to do. He kept his eyes fixed on his commitment to God. He wasn't going to to compromise in his commitment to God when Potiphar's wife came after him. But he 
thrived using his gifts right where he was. Sometimes we long for another situation. We long to be in somebody else's body or someone else's family or someone else's work environment. But we can see a lot through Joseph that overcoming the evil that is aimed at us with good is we can hang on and survive resting in the Lord and we can thrive by using the gifts that he's given us right where we are in the midst of that pain. Third, we see that he resisted some things. He refused to bail out on God's agenda for his life. He refused the temptation from Potiphar's wife. He refused to turn his back on God. He refused to mess and tweak God's plan to make it a little bit more tolerable. How often we can bail out on God's plan as soon as it's uncomfortable, as soon as we see pain, as soon as we see hardship, as soon as we face any kind of ridicule, as soon as we feel lonely, we begin to think we need to help God out with his plan. We trade God's plan in for the quick fix of our own plan. Joseph's response to his evil circumstances forth, he waited. He waited on God's time and God's place. I do hope that you'll remind yourself and read through these passages of Scripture again. What you'll see is that God had a really big, wonderful plan And since God is in control, when others try to wreck our life and to destroy our life, and and the very evil things that they do, God can take them and bring good out of them. Don't misunderstand me. We know that in Romans, the passage of Scripture that's often misunderstood, well, God must cause all these things. That's not what it says. God works all things together for the good of those who love Him. There's many things that God does not cause. But as the Lord allows free will in this fallen world, Jesus gives us the promise, in this world you will have trouble. Count on it, bank on it, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He waited on God, God's timing and God's plan. You see, if his brothers had never rejected him, he would never ever have been out there in the caravan. If the caravan was never taking him he would never have been sold into slavery and he would never have been to potiphar's house if he was never in potiphar's house he would never have been unjustly accused if he had never been unjustly accused he never would have been to prison if he'd never been to prison he wouldn't be able to interpret the dreams and been recommended to pharaoh if he'd never ever been recommended to interpret pharaoh's dreams he never would have been recognized and lifted to a high place of authority he never would have been able to help save his family and his people and god took those 13 plus years of what must have seemed like total, total abandonment. Where is my family? Where is God? Where is recognition for my hard work? As soon as I take a step forward, I get six back. God, what's going on? And God did not cause those things, but weaved together for His Son who trusted in Him and brought a tremendously good thing, not only for Joseph, Not only for his family and for the people, but God brought glory to himself. But most of the time, we're tempted to bail out. Finally, as we look at Joseph's response to evil, he grew. He faced his issues and he forgave others of their issues. He allowed this time of pain and and evil that was aimed at him to be a time where he would grow. When you read the entire story as a whole, you see this change in Joseph. At the beginning, you remember, I didn't even talk about it yet tonight, but when he was getting his brothers all ticked off at him, 
even the way he seemed to describe the visions he had of everything bowing down to him. We can read in there a little bit of an egocentric approach. The Lord was speaking to him. I believe he was giving the right message, but sometimes we can give the right message the wrong way and we can begin to cause all kinds of problems to come on us. But the Lord is working on him. The Lord humbled him. And now he is quick to give God the glory. He also now is forgiving those who have hurt him. We also read that Joseph has two sons, two boys. And get this, he names his boys Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means God has caused me to forget. And Ephraim means faithful, fruitful. Wow. Think of this. What God was doing in Joseph's life came out even in the naming of his own kids, the blessing, the line that was coming from him. God has caused me to forget the pain, and he is faithful to me, and he shows me the fruitful things that he is doing. We're always looking for God to change the situation, but sometimes God says, I'm going to allow this because I would rather change you than always change the situation for you. As we come to an end tonight, we can begin to now take the example that Joseph gave to us and, and really begin to lay our life on the template of God's Word. We're not trying to squeeze it into what we want to see, but we're saying, Lord, as I lay my pain, my hurt, my situation, my family's pain, hurt their situation, would you begin to show me what I can do? So here's Joseph's secret to overcoming evil. It's threefold. It involves something that he knew. It involves something that he did and something that he refused to do. Let's just take these piece by piece. What was it that he knew? He knew the fact that nothing happens by accident in our life. Somebody has willed or caused it into being. It's either decreed and caused by God or God has allowed the evil, as Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, allowed it to take place. And see, we know that God will work all these things, even the evil things, for the good of those who love Him. If we live our life thinking of only this world, it will never make sense. It will never be fair. It will never be just. It will never be right. But if we live our life thinking of all eternity, God wants to do in this short life anything and allow anything to take place that will help us get closer to Him for the rest of all eternity. We can begin to see the blessings in that aspect. He knew that God had his best interest at heart. So what application could that have for you and me? What could we take for this? I think we could see that you and I, we are never stuck in the seat of a victim. I don't mean that you're never a victim. I don't mean that you never have evil aimed at you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I promise that you will have that. If you've not had it yet, hang on. You're going to have it soon. Life brings that pain, but we don't have to play the role of the victim. We can allow God to make us better in the midst of that pain. That's what he knew. Joseph also did some things. What did he do? He blessed those who cursed him. The very people who were coming after him, he chose to bless them. 
You and I could live this out by saying, I will do good to those who hurt me. Talk about something that doesn't match the world around us. But Joseph isn't giving us instructions on how to be like our culture. He's given us instructions on how to overcome evil with good. Plain and simple, those who do evil, look for ways to do good to them. And finally, what he refused to do. He refused to take revenge. What would it be like for you and I to apply this and for us to choose to forgive, to release those who have hurt me, release them from retribution, the retribution that they deserve because Christ has released, has forgiven me of the same. As we look at these things, the things that he knew, the things that he did, the things that he refused to do, he refused to play the role of a a victim. He knew that God was going to work things out for him. He did good to those who did evil to him, and he forgave those who had done evil to him. Here's a couple questions I think maybe as we come to a close tonight that could help us get it out of our brain and maybe into our heart and hopefully to our hands and feet this week. As you look at how to overcome evil that is aimed at you, would you contemplate just making this decision to choose to forgive the person who has hurt you? We don't have time tonight, but we've talked about it before. Remember, there's a huge difference between trust and forgiveness. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is granted. If you wait for the stars to align, you wait for the perfect moment to forgive, it will never, ever come. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiving is a process. And to be forgiven, that's where resolution comes in our heart. We could also... Make a decision to choose to pray daily for God to bless that person who has hurt us. Just take, I put 30 days, I don't want to do it. Just take 21 days. Just take three weeks. And don't pray at that person. You ever done that? God help Carrie be with her. Make sure she has justice come into her life. Pick on her because I can We can pray at people, and that's not what this is about. But we can pray for people. Remember, prayer changes things, and one of those things is us and our heart. And when we begin to pray for them, the Lord begins to give release in our heart. Even for the people that are toughest for us to choose to forgive. I could choose to pray daily for them. It may honestly start with a little bit of praying at, but God, would you change my heart to pray for them? And third, I think this may even seem the toughest, but I think it comes sequentially. I'm first making the choice, and then I'm praying, letting God change my heart, and could I get to the place where I would do one act of kindness this week for that person who, who wounds me? Some of them may be dead and gone. Some of them may be many, many miles away. Could I speak kind about them? Could I send a letter or an email in a way that does not dig the knife in to make sure I get my two cents in, but just to be kind? Brady, you don't know my situation. You don't know what's happened to me. That just doesn't seem fair. It's not. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, not because it's going to be made even, but Jesus says he has overcome this world. Romans 12, 
Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the scripture that you've given us tonight. We look through the life of Paul and his suffering and the grace that you had given to him in his own life. We look at the words that Peter gives to us about what it means to persevere in times of suffering. We see that, Father, you've been a part of this from the very beginning and you worked in Joseph's life and for these many years of what seemed like tragic injustice, you worked even through those things that broke your heart. You never left him, you were right there with him and the Lord was with Joseph, it tells us. Would you begin to encourage my brother and sister here tonight that you have not fallen asleep. You know the pain, the hurt, the loneliness, the abandonment, the disease, the injustice that seems to grip our heart and our mind tonight. You know, those who are close to us, that maybe they feel it. And sometimes through proxy, we feel it just as passionate. Lord, would you begin to remind us that not only are you there, and not only have you called us to overcome evil with good, but you are giving us the tools. So friend, if you're here tonight, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, though that's a good thing. Or to come forward, though that's a good thing too. But I just ask you right now tonight, just between you and God, I want to invite you to make a choice to forgive. You may not be able to trust that person. That's a whole other thing. We talked about that. I don't suggest in any way that it's easy or minute. But I just know what your Heavenly Father has in store for you and wants to empower you to do. As you make that choice, I want you just to imagine that your Heavenly Father is wrapping His arm around you. Inviting you to talk to Him about that pain, about that person. Would you imagine that God is wanting to even place seeds of blessing in your heart for that person, the one who doesn't deserve it, the one who has brought so much hurt and and pain into your life, reminding you of the grace He's given you. God, would you begin to, over the next hours and days and weeks, give us the boldness as you change our heart to repay this evil with good, to do kind acts towards them or speak kind words about them. Jesus, I thank you that you don't call us to things that you have not lived out as you stand there 
before the authorities in the week of your crucifixion. Lies, malice running rampant. You just took it for our sake. Lord, I pray that as we allow you to bring us through the pain of this world, would you get our eyes fixed on what you have overcome and what comes next? Thank you, Jesus, that you bring power in our life for very real things like this. It's in your name that we not only pray, but it's in your name we are dependent tonight. Amen and amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to thank you for your great attention to God's Word. Now, recognize in a message like this tonight, sometimes it brings up all kinds of stuff. And we go, now what do I do? I encourage you, if you have a trusted friend, maybe in this room, maybe a phone call away or email away, reach out to them tonight and just let them know what God's being beginning to do in your heart. If not, I challenge you to take some time and maybe jot down in a journal, type out on your iPad, your phone, in a notes section. Some of the things that the Lord may be saying to you. Remember, you are not alone. We want to journey with you. Would you stand with me? As we take off tonight, I often, kind of in a halfway teasing way, ask you to find six people to give a hug to or whatever. I'm not going to put a number on that. But I would ask you this. And a night when we have been examining the pain that comes at us and evil that's aimed at us. Would you be intentional as you walk out of this place and try to aim some good at someone around you? It may be a hug, a kind word. It may be a moment of encouragement. You see, one of the things that God gives us as tools to overcome this evil is His very essence oozing out of us onto one another. That's what this place of worship is all about.